You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Welcome to another episode of Mommy One Muslim Podcast with your co-host Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jafri. This is Uzma. Assalamualaikum, everyone. And this is Zeba Hassan. Assalamualaikum. So we're going to talk today about fun stuff, but let's uh, do our little recap of the short week that we had because we just saw everybody on Monday. But this weekend's the Women's March. Are you super excited? I am so excited. Of course, it's been in the 50s and 60s here in the D.C. area, and tomorrow it's going to freezing rain of all the days, right? So, but you know what? Women are tough, so we will just get bundled up and get the message across. We are very, very excited about going. My daughter and myself are going to go with a couple of friends. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Why is it so important for you to go? Typically, I don't take my kids to rallies. They're a little smaller and um, it's a little wilder out here in the West. So tell me why it's so important for you to get um, Zara to go with you. Well, this is the first year she's actually attending with me, um, and she's attending with me on her own accord. I'm not one for um, projecting or putting my kids into situations that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with, or they don't necessarily agree with me on a lot of things, right? My kids have mm-hmm. different opinions on stuff, and that's kind of what we want. Um, but this is uh, a year where she is going to be 14, and she asked to join me this year, and I'm really excited. Um, and the bonus is um, we've had Tara Ajay on our, um, the founder of the Love Glasses Revolution on our show before, and she has so graciously offered to send a bunch of love glasses our way. So we'll be rocking Woo-hoo! those heart-shaped glasses tomorrow at the march um, and hopefully spreading the love um, because at our core we are the center of our homes, right? And mm-hmm. for me, that's very important to show um, strong leadership to my daughter because they can do just the same amount of things that their um, male counterparts can. And I'm blessed that I have at least one daughter. What about you? Are you guys going to go or what are you guys going to do this weekend? Our activists, I'm not sure exactly what happened. They somehow dropped the ball. And so our march is not until Sunday. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So I will be marching probably with Tara because um, she usually has oh, her yay. big love glasses banner and love rebel stuff. So I'll be rocking my love glasses. I usually yay. go as a medic. So if there's any um, health issues, usually it's people getting dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really had anybody get hurt at the Women's March, thankfully, in the past couple of years. So um, and last year, I think I even skipped out early because nobody got hurt. Um And yeah, so I carry my water, my medical supplies, and then if nothing happens, then I fall into line. But we didn't even get permitted to march this year because there's a a marathon going on apparently. So all kinds of disasters. (laughs) So we'll be standing and rallying and doing speeches and stuff, and, and that'll be that. Well, that's really exciting. So I can't wait to see um, your pictures on our Mommy Well Muslim page. So let's get our yeah. matching love glasses and um, <laughs> be part of the revolution, ladies. Yes. And make sure you guys check out our 10 days of giveaways today because in honor of the Women's March, we will be giving away love glasses thanks to Tara Ijai and Love Glasses Revolution. Yay. So what's the soapbox for today? Because I think that's our new format. Like you tell oh, us yeah. what's on our soapbox for today, Miss Uzma. All right. So... Um, 
um, if you guys saw the ridiculous videos of um, the formal formal articles of impeachment being delivered to the Senate to try the President of the United States, um, it is more of a ceremonial thing. But as um, certain newscasters pointed out, like you could have just emailed it, buddy. But apparently, they have to be taken to the Senate from the House of Representatives down the hall, and they have to be read aloud so that the President knows that he is being tried for impeachment. So here's the thing that I don't understand as a citizen. We know there are 67 Republicans sitting in the Senate in a body of 100, and it requires a two-thirds vote to um, impeach the president by the Senate. And 67, last I checked, I'm not good at math, but I believe is a two-thirds vote right there. So uh, it's just lucky that that's exactly the number of GOP members sitting in the in the Senate right now. And so um, even though we have a president who has confirmed, been confirmed from many sources to have threatened a foreign nation with withholding congressionally approved funds in exchange for dirt on his political rival, which is illegal or unconstitutional, if that means anything as an American to us. Um, either way, that's really clear. But we know that the Senate from his party is not going to impeach him. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are super hopeful that in November 2020, things are going to change and that we're going to have a new president, but it looks really bleak, y'all. I don't think this guy's going anywhere, but the silver lining, because I know you're my silver lining girl, there are 34 seats, um, 22 of which are Republican held in the Senate that are up for re-election in November. So like you pointed out a couple of episodes ago, that is the change we can make. That is what we need to focus on. So as moms, our job is to look up our um, senators, the ones that represent us in DC and figure out, hey, are those the guys whose girls or guys whose seats are up? How have they voted? What did they vote on impeachment? And if they didn't do what we wanted, we vote them out. And there's, um, we will share the link where you can kind of look for that information um, and be informed on these types of issues because 2020 is a year of change. Um, and for my, from my perspective, a year of hope, regardless of what happens in the presidency. So that's just something that we, um, as moms within our family, should definitely um, make it a priority to, to research some of these issues. You want to head into our topic for today? So we talked a little bit about love and marriage, um, the horse and the baby carriage. Um, but now what happens when the baby comes home and the baby is hangry? And there's so many different controversies over like breast is best. Um, and the reality of the situation is from an Islamic perspective and the actual science is fed is best, right? Like however you choose to feed your baby um, is the blessing. Um, but there are a multitude of choices and we're going to just kind of get into um, into feeding your baby once the baby is home. So um, Uzma, you are a huge proponent for breastfeeding. And in fact, mm -hmm. you're going to be going to a breastfeeding conference in Tanzania, is that what's going on right now? Can you please one explain to me who, what, what where, and I'm why? Doing in Africa. Exactly. Yeah. So you're going to Africa <laughs> to do this breastfeeding conference, um, mm -hmm. and do you want to give us a little bit of insight as to what motivated you to do that, and how, um, and why? How are you even going to get there? To be honest with you, let's talk a little bit about. That. I'm going to start swimming today, and maybe I'll make it over. Um, so it's actually an internship. 
um, and it's uh, clinical and didactic in breastfeeding medicine. And, you know, for 10 years, I've been saying I'm going to get my IBCLC, which is my um, certification in lactation. And uh, I didn't do it. You know, I kind of started in residency where I discovered this whole branch of breastfeeding medicine. And I found an expert who is like the local and now kind of an international um, internationally renowned doctor, pediatrician, who's also an IBCLC. And she was kind enough to take me under her wing and train me. And then, you know, residency kept going on. And then I did fellowship because I really wanted to take care of old people. But I was also really interested in breastfeeding medicine. People were like, well, you have to pick either or. And I did. And I'm thinking now as I'm getting older, when is the best time? It's kind of like this podcast, right? How many people were like, well, what are you qualified how are you qualified to do this? And are you sure this is a good time to do it? When is a good time to do something? I've been passionate about it. I put a lot of things on the back burner in lieu of motherhood, careers, not the perfect time. And I just figure while I still got my legs and while I still have a sense of adventure and my hips are still working, let me get them over there and uh, go back and get some clinical hours. So I'm not sure exactly what I'm doing. I know I'm doing some lectures, taking them like I'm a student. Um, And I think that as human beings, that's our job to be lifelong students and then getting my clinical hours, watching um, lactation consultants in the field, in an international field, who have to do this on a regular basis because formula is not accessible in third world countries. It is cost prohibitive for a lot of people and babies die because of um, lack of water. It's not just because of the lack of milk. You don't have clean water to clean all of the feeding supplies. So relactating women in natural disasters, refugee situations is actually um, a really big movement to try to save some of these babies from dying of dehydration and diarrhea, which is the number one cause of them um, dying. So uh, learning to relactate and lactate moms in the third world, I think will really help me when I come back to the developed one. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that you're finally uh, deciding this is something I've been thinking about and you're just going to go do it. You're literally going to Africa to -hmm. get this done. So I can't wait to hear about that adventure when you do go um, and to hear and read all about it. So the one thing I do want to say, and you, you made an interesting point that sometimes formula is just not accessible to um, people because it is a very cost prohibitive um, way to feed a baby. Um, But sometimes you just can't help it and you just are not producing enough. So I have to say, um, by God's grace, I've never had that issue. I was essentially a cow, like for lack of a better <laughs> phrase, and I can literally feed. I with with my babies, a I nation. can literally feed. I can feed a nation, which is a blessing. So I never had that, that um, experience per se, other than with my number three, um, who just had palate issues. So just to get latched on took a while, but then we were able to figure it out. But I have to um, give my sister-in-law, Nadia, a shout out because with her second, I remember watching this happen. Like she was having, um, my nephew was having a failure to thrive and it was because of her lack of um, supply at the time. And we didn't really know this, but this woman was so dedicated to exclusively pumping, um, obviously having to supplement a little bit with formula as well and getting it done. I feel like sometimes that I, I, 
per me personally, it was just easier for me to nurse a baby than to go through that whole process of attempting to nurse and the back and forth. And I mean, kudos to all the mamas that just try to get it done. So did you have any issues, Uzma, with um, breastfeeding your kids or like what, what was your experience with um, your children? Um, yeah. So I'll talk about my first experience because that was probably the like, hardest. Literally, I tell people I would rather have my bottom lip tied to a truck and dragged through a field of broken glass naked than oh do that again. Gosh. It oh was my so gosh. That is such a visual. <laughs> That is exactly what I tell people. If you think pregnancy and labor is hard without an epidural, wait until you start breastfeeding because it is tough. And um, by the way, for I, it being mm-hmm. such a natural thing, it's mm-hmm. not it's natural. Not. Totally not natural. You have no, to no, no, figure no. this out. <laughs> yes. So before I, I do discuss what happened with my firstborn, I will say my caveat is I do not believe in fed is best because I think that's a fallacy of logic. Of course, feeding a baby is the best thing. Who would argue that right. not feeding a baby is is not okay? You know, like all of us want our babies fed. The argument over breast is best, that doesn't make any sense to me because all formula is trying to mimic breast. So breast is the standard. And as you said, it is not possible for everybody, but scientifically, medically, there's less than, I believe, 2% of women who actually cannot produce enough breast milk. But okay, so um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And this is um, coming from a person, like I literally nursed all my kids for two plus right. and for some of them right. plus years. So I, I obviously believe in the concept of breastfeeding. Some people mm-hmm. just don't want to. Yes. And I've and met that's those okay. moms too. Yeah. And that's okay. It's your choice. Again, it's your body, whatever you decide. For me, I was um, an intern. So that's first year of residency, working 80 hours a week. I was going to be away from my son for a very long time. So there's a lot of guilt. Like if you think you've ever felt guilty for like, I don't know, whatever you felt guilty for, stealing, lying, kissing a boy, I don't know, like all the things that you thought were the worst kind of guilt that you've ever had, forget about it. Once you become a mom, that baby is guilt. So um, to deal with that mom guilt and being away from this part of my heart, you know, this part of my body that came out, um, I was like, well, the only thing I can give him while I'm away from anywhere from 12 to 34 hours at a time, like in blocks, I'd be away. So the only thing I could give him was breast milk because now he's going to daycare, right? So he's going to get sick and I needed to protect him. And I knew those first six months of breast milk, the reason why the guidelines are there for exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months is because that's when those antibodies being fed into the baby through your milk. And so I really wanted my son to be protected and not be sick. I mean, he still had the sniffles pretty much the whole time he was in daycare until I pulled him out. But um, it was that, dealing with the mom guilt, it was the Islamic mandate. So in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 233, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, you know, your children have a right over your breast milk for two years. There's an addendum to that, that if the mother or father choose not to breastfeed the baby, then the father has to go out and find somebody, compensate a milk mother or a milkmaid, I guess is the European Literal equivalent term, of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a milk mother, like Halima was for Prophet Wasallam. So, um, you know, I feel like we have the best of both worlds as Muslims because we are unique in our religion in that we actually have a timeline. 
which guess what? It's consistent with the World Health Organization's recommendations of breastfeeding two years and beyond. So it's like, well, some had it figured out like 1500 years ago, but thanks who? Um, but at the same time, for those moms who cannot physically do it, Allah has this cushion for you already built in. So those are the two reasons why I did it and why I gave myself such a hard time. But I had a late pre-termer, which meant my son was born at 37 weeks. And he, you know, kids aren't always fully developed and they don't um, have the ability, the natural quote unquote ability to latch on and suck. And so he was very bad. And it sounds like your Z3 had the same issue as mine did. He has a Michael Phelps palate. So it's really high. You know, yes, it's kind of that was how it like was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was and a thumb I did sucker not know in this. utero. Yeah. I didn't see that. And neither did the doctor and nobody could figure it out. And it was miserable for two months. I had postpartum depression and psychosis. I was pumping to try to increase my supply because here's the trick. This is why um, I had to do that because I had many family members from both sides of my son's family saying ridiculous things like Uzma has the baby with her all the time. She doesn't want us to touch the baby which when babies come home, they cluster feed and it's literally every 20 minutes this kid is hungry because he has this high palate. He's not drawing enough. My milk didn't come in because your milk doesn't come in until day five of life, which is exactly the way it's supposed to be because um, your baby stomach is this big. See, top of your thumb when he's born, that's a teaspoon. That's all he needs. Um, and he wasn't drawing it um, enough. So now I'm pumping because I also have my mom saying, why don't you have milk? I had milk before I had babies. I don't understand. Da, 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 da. You know, you need to get formula. Kid, everything oh, is so God. stressful because you just yeah. don't have anything to compare it to. You That's haven't slept issue. in yeah, days. You're exhausted. Like I, had, I hadn't slept more than two hours consecutively in seven days and finally collapsed, physically collapsed, fell at my husband's feet. And I was like, I just can't do it anymore because I had people from all directions barking at me like he needs formula this formula is causing gas that formula is causing diarrhea this blah, blah, blah. and it's like i know what i've told my patients i know that 50 percent of it was wrong now <laughs> that i've actually had a baby and 50 percent of it i trust is still true and i should know what I'm doing, I'm trying to get this yellow stool to come out of my son. It's not happening fast enough. He's orange. He was a jaundiced baby. So I knew that I had to get him to poop more to get him healthy and keep him from getting admitted to the hospital again. Um, but it, it was just so stressful and so awful. So I did do formula and I had once I went back to work, there was a lot of what I call um, breastfeeding sabotage, and people are really well-meaning when they do it, or they just don't know any better, and behind your back, they'll feed your baby formula because they think he's hungry, and you didn't leave enough milk for him, because these are people who believe that a three-month-old has any business finishing more than six ounces at a time. I have come home, and just in time, right? I didn't do my last pump in the car on the way home because I was like, I want to feed my kid at least twice at the breast once we figured out his palate issues. And I would pick him up and Zeba, I would move him around and he, I could hear. He, he sounded like the a water sloshing, bottle. The sloshing, the sloshing in the belly. And, oh, poor you know, thing. he'd vomit. And I'm like, you can overfeed a baby. You know, he's mm -hmm. not losing weight. He's meeting all of his growth curves. Like, I don't understand people want to love on a baby by feeding him. And that's what I realized. And there's so many other ways that you can do it. And I tried to teach. Let's but, be honest, you know, some it's people really are just boring with babies when they first come home. Really, you're just 
feeding them. Changing diapers and feeding them. That's all Babies are boring. You've heard it from (laughs) me here now. I'm not a baby person. I totally am. I could have them sitting inside of my shirt all day long. Oh, no. No, thank you. Yeah. Once they start moving, rolling over, not interested. Give them to me when they're two and above. I'm in. So like, I'll let (gasps) you have the baby and then you give them to me. Like, let's, let's make a pact for that. We so should have had babies together. We didn't make our pact early enough. That's we our fault. We did it. We did it. Yeah. But um, we're getting sidetracked now. That's the yeah. unfortunate thing. Let's when you talk go about live. Z4. Yes. Let's that talk about was Z4 issue. because okay. I have treated babies in the NICU. I have prescribed, um, like, if they were on breast milk and if they were preemies, we would have a certain calculation to try to get them to meet their calorie goals. But we would always try to supplement the breast milk, like add this stinky powder to actual breast milk by having NICU moms pump and stuff. But I want to know what your experience was as a friend of mine in Z4, because I never talked to my patients' moms as it turned out. Yes. So um, Z4 had an unfortunate um, delivery and we were in the NICU for quite a while. Um, both of us, it was just a traumatic experience, which honestly, I still, um, haven't come to terms with, Alhamdulillah, he's a blessing and healthy and stuff now, but I was one of those. And again, I probably didn't have the, 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 the typical NICU experience. And I really did produce milk before my kids were born. Like I actually did. Um, So, um, which, I mean, even my doctor's like, it's like 1% of people that do this. And I'm like, yeah, no, I have this issue. So I, they, we never had to actually supplement, but he was, he was kept apart from me um, just because they were healing. He was being healed. I was being healed. And every 90 minutes to two hours, I would be, have to be wheeled into the NICU. And I insisted on putting him to the breast at that point. And then honestly, Mm -hmm. I would come back to my room and then pump just Mm -hmm. so I, just to ensure that my supply, because he wasn't next to me, I didn't have that typical, um, in room bonding experience that I had with my other three kids. Um, and we were there for a long, um, a long period of time. So I have to say it was actually work. Um, it was literally work. I was recovering from Mm -hmm. a C-section, which, and obviously traumatized myself, um, having had major surgery and not being able to see my other three kids because they were not allowed to come to the hospital. So there was a lot of emotional back and forth. Um, and again, to your point, I was, very, very um, insistent that I breastfeed my kids. And even in the hospitals, they're not necessarily as supportive, right? Because she was like, it'll just be easier for you. You need to recover. Let me give the baby formula. Um, The few times when I really was just zonked out, I did pump enough. So they were able to give him um, pumped milk in a bottle. But honestly, I just didn't, we were there for such a long period of time. I didn't want him to get used to the bottle, if that makes sense. Mm So it it was literally a full-time job for me those first couple of days as I was recovering. And it was just such a traumatic um, experience for for me that I just wanted to do whatever I could. It was a physical, tangible thing that I, I felt like I could do for him to help in the healing process, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And I mean, typically those NICU moms are so emotionally exhausted, forget yes. about what they physically gone through. And usually they do have other kids at home and they don't have the luxury of staying in the hospital. And I'm, I'm saying luxury as if it was luxurious for you. It right. probably wasn't. But what I'm saying is that they had their C-section, they stayed there 72 hours and now you're discharged. So you can either yeah, sleep no, in the NICU or I you can go home and take care of your family. Yeah. I was able because I, um, I was also recovering uh, because it was yeah. just a very bad situation. So I was able to stay with yeah. it, but I was in the, my patient care and he, the mm-hmm. NICU was in a separate place. So the beauty is I was able to stay on site um, and I didn't have to go home. Cause I wouldn't imagine if I was discharged and he was still there, how we would make that work to be honest with yeah. you. And that's why I never got to talk to a lot of moms because they would um, send in with somebody. You know, some of these moms were going straight back to work. Yeah. And so they would send in all these, you know, the tiny little bottles of um, pumped breast milk. And then we would use that to help calculate, okay, how are we going to supplement this baby? And if we don't meet his demands, his physical demands, now we have to, you know, put stinky formula in him, which we knew, which I knew at least was going to sabotage their breastfeeding success when they got home. But the doctors, you know, your focus in the NICU is getting that baby out of the NICU um, as fast as possible. So I always wondered, you know, what happened to these kids when they went home and what happened to that breastfeeding dyad when they went home? Because I mean, that was my interest was preserving the dyad. Um, so I'm glad to know that despite all of those struggles that you guys did well, because, yeah, we did. you know, in all the cases that I know of, it just, it didn't, you know, those kids ended up on formula. And I'm not saying that like formula is all evil. I'm saying because breast milk is the standard, that's why um, uh, I, I, I say that. So tell me, Zeba, what were the most important factors in supporting your breastfeeding journey through all your kids? Honestly, for me, it was, I know this is not going to be a popular answer. I was actually lazy. And let me explain <laughs> me about that. I didn't want to have to clean bottles and get up in the middle of the night. It was just so much easier. It's for me, it was easier to pull. I co-slept. I, I co-sleep a lot um, with my children. So like I co-slept the first probably six to eight months. And um, I had a little bassinet that was attached to my bed. It was just a lot easier for middle of the night feedings for me to kind of like pulled the baby to me versus getting up and warming the bottle and cleaning the bottles and the sterilizing the bottles. So counterintuitively, my laziness is what really was the biggest support for me because I just didn't want to have to do all that extra work to be blunt with you. So that was really supportive. And honestly, my mom, even though at the time when we were born, it was actually not fashionable to nurse children. It was like more in fashion. When we were born, right? When we were born, it was the formula was Mm -hmm. a new thing. Um, And honestly, like wealthier, quote unquote, wealthier people nurse, uh, you know, fed their baby formula than, than not. And obviously we were um, not very wealthy at the time. So my mom had to nurse and she was just actually very supportive um, in that nursing process. She was like, you're doing what you need to do and um, just get it done. And I have to say like, for me, it was a blessing because I would be able to fall asleep. So I didn't necessarily feel that sleep deprivation um, as much as 
maybe another parent because I wasn't ever fully awake, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, it does because breastfeeding actually releases your um, happy hormone, your natural oxytocin, and it induces sleep. So if you ever notice um, when you're feeding your baby, you have that heavy feeling and yes. it really relaxes you. And I would end up falling asleep with my kids too, which is exactly what I needed after a 30 hour shift. Sometimes when I came home, it was like the best thing emotionally to meet my baby because I only ever saw him in the dark, right? I would Aww. pop five times, sometimes more a day. And there's so much, um, discrimination that you deal with when you're a pumping mom at yes. work, especially in my field. So 10 years ago, and I think this statistic is still true, doctors who breastfeed their babies have a higher rate of attrition, which means dropping out of exclusive breastfeeding than black teenage girls. Oh, so, um, you know, it makes sense for those girls because they're young, they have very limited resources, they're in school all day. But for us too, there is discrimination. And I would say it's worse from women than it is from men. Um, so it was such a relief to be able to come home and have this baby who was like so excited to see me who did get bottles during the day, but had no issue after a certain time. There was no what we call nipple confusion, but early on he only had, you know, we made sure that it was just breast. And then when I was going back to work, we started introducing bottles. And that is a challenge for a lot of women because they're like, how am I going to go back to work? My kid's not accepting a bottle. Yeah. I promise you they won't starve. They'll eventually do it. One of my difficult um, situations was my daughter who was exclusively breastfed and she was the only one who refused a bottle. She wouldn't do it. And it's like, really? I'm going, I'm, I'm going back to work in like two weeks and we tried and that kid wouldn't do it. And she refused to eat during the day. So it was literally when I came home she and I was a fellow at the time. Cal calories at yeah. Night. Mm -hmm. So what did she do? She stayed up all night long and would nurse every two hours, every three hours and get her calories in that way. So that's called reverse cycle nursing. And it's hard, but it's not impossible. I went home one time. Um, this is why I know it didn't affect my sleep schedule is because I went home and I would sleep with my mom in the master bedroom. We'd kick my dad out. And she was like, oh, how's your son doing? You know, does he wake up at, at night? And I think he was like eight, nine months old. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he sleeps at the night. Like he, he nurses at nine and then he's done. Um, I don't have to nurse him until six in the morning. And she was like, okay, great. So then in the morning, you know, I wake up and I come to breakfast and she's like, so your kid sleeps through the night, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, no. Girl, he was up every two hours and you were snoring as he helped himself to the buffet. And <laughs> I so had funny. no clue that this had been happening. I still don't know how long it had been going on. Like, I can't tell you. But the, so, the, one, thing you, 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 the one thing that people <laughs> need to know, because um, I'd have some, you were talking about the support and some misinformation. The one thing somebody had mentioned to me was like, you know, um, if I give my baby formula, they sleep through the night. I have to say, mine minus my first, which I always say was my learning. I didn't test know what baby. I was doing my test baby, but from mm -hmm. Z2 to Z4, mine all slept through the night. Uh, and by, and, wow. and by sleeping through the night, 10 to 12 hours, like I would nurse, I would do a dream feed at oh. like 10 and they would uh -huh. sleep till seven. So it can be done mm -hmm. and people need to be aware of that because mine were exclusively breastfed and slept and they didn't even get food till probably six, six months. I would have to say yeah. like I started yeah. on the solid food. 
And that's what we want to do is probably, you know, the uh, national guidelines and the um, international guidelines for feeding a baby is wait until six months, exclusively breastfeed until then. And at that point, you can start your solids. And now there's a whole movement to introduce um, allergens early because people used to withhold peanut butter for some reason forever. And um, I was just looking at a meme this morning, like, don't put peanut butter on a spoon and give it to a baby. And I'm like, whoops, did that. Did (laughs) you really? Yeah, Yeah, but it was those plastic baby Baby spoon. The baby spoon. That's all I gave Exactly. Up. Yeah. So we, we did talk about the um, Muslim mandate of nursing. And what is yes. that for people that are not aware um, of the guidelines and the timelines for nursing your children in the Islamic tradition? Um, so I did mention at the beginning of the podcast that it's Surah Al-Baqarah, verse uh, 233. Um, and I think uh, breast milk itself that's where the two-year mandate is coming right. in from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I took that very literally, and I was like, Allah is telling me that I need to do this. And this is within my means of doing. Like, my body is able to do this. If it wasn't, he wouldn't tell me to do it. So I had I had said that to myself and dedicated myself to it. Now, I know it's different for everybody. So whatever you do, that's fine, baby girl. Do you. Um, but I think breast milk is mentioned like another six or seven times, but I couldn't tell you which verses in the Quran itself. Um, so mother's milk is super important. Um, and for those of us who are from subcontinental families, we know that we have to pay our mothers back the price of their milk, which as we know is priceless. So they will say, I'm going to take the value of my milk from you. You know, it's basically guilting you into doing stuff. And I remember one of the craziest things my mom ever said to me was, why are you spending so much time breastfeeding them? They're never going to remember this. Just stop. It's not worth it. You know, all the kids, like they, they sell you out and they leave and they're, you know, she was at a, at a time in her life, I guess. So, um, I was like, I mean, I'm not doing this to keep, uh, some kind of a score with my kids. I'm doing it literally for the sake of Allah. And also because I believe in the science. And then she was like, okay, well, they're never going to remember. And I'm like, that's not the point. <laughs> That, well, they don't remember a lot of things, but when they become they parents, don't. I think they do appreciate all the things that, like, I, I, when I became a parent, I definitely appreciated um, the sacrifices and all the things that my parents had to do in order to have us. So we don't always do things for our kids to pay us back later. Let's just yeah. That's keep not that the point there. of parenting. That's not yes, the point exactly. of parenting, everybody. <laughs> um, but but I do get your point. That is definitely a difference. I think from the previous generation and our generation, we was like mm-hmm. I know for me, my kids are not mine. They're their own people, mm-hmm. right? So they I have them for Allah. such. They belong to God, and and they're their own people. And I'm just here to kind of guide them on their way and hope and pray that they can pay it forward in the next generation. So so yeah. you talk a lot about like support your literally going and doing an internship for breastfeeding support for these women, like what kind of resources do people have when they tell you, they come to you as Dr. J and they're like, listen, I just cannot nurse. I'm not producing enough. What kinds of, where do you actually direct your patients for support, like tangible support for them? I'll tell them to go to their doctor first because there's certain labs that can do it. I want to know what their birth history was. Did they have any birth trauma? Did they have a lot of medical interventions? Because certain drugs um, uh, during your delivery can cause that. If you have any retained placenta, it can um, decrease uh, your milk supply because that is um, uh, 
it's actually telling your brain, hey, there's still baby in here. So don't make so much milk because that can actually, you know how they're like, don't do any nipple stimulation. It stimulates contractions while you're pregnant and stuff like that late in your pregnancy. Um, so it, it is that uh, feedback loop. And so it, it's really important to start with a medical evaluation, but also I want to know, you know, what is your baby? What are his hunger cues? Do you know his hunger cues? And a lot of times first time moms don't. don't. Um, yeah. And how are you feeding him? And what is your belief about what he needs, you know? So if he's like sucking his thumb and like smacking or just awake, is that a sign to you that he needs to be fed or is that do you believe that that's a good time to pick him up and do some skin to skin and snuggle him or just get your chores done, do whatever you got to do? Um, or do you believe that every time a baby's awake, he needs to be fed, which I think was um, something that I dealt with with subcontinental moms who thought if a baby's awake, he's hungry. Right. Um, so just beliefs, I think, about um, baby hunger and then uh, medical evaluations for perceived versus actual low supply. Okay, got it. So so you're saying sometimes people come to you because they assume it's a low supply, but, but really it's not. Usually what they're doing is, oh, I wasn't making enough milk, so I started giving formula. Well, when the baby's full on formula, he's not going to suck on the milk. And, and then it becomes that's like what this ends up. negative, and then, yeah. essentially the cycle um, yeah. of feeding and then not getting, and then probably yeah. not even producing enough milk at that point. Exactly. And then, you know, babies have... They're, they're lazy too, you know? So if it's coming easily out of a nipple, they're going to um, suck more. And with my first one, I did do this. I was like, oh, he was the one that would take like eight ounces in a feeding because I didn't know any better. And so we did, um, you know, the old school sticking a pin in the nipple of the oh, bottle. Yeah. So I, actually, none of my kids, yeah, none of my kids <laughs> took a bottle. So like I haven't yeah. had that experience, but like, mm-hmm. is it just to make it like, bigger flow faster presumably. okay flow, flow faster yeah, got flow it. faster and so I wasn't doing it my mom did it you know when she came on her visits she graciously did that for me she also graciously fed my first son his first food because she like was so excited and I'm Aww, like that's I a not, that? but that is a nanny's blessing right like they get very excited about that stuff shut up yo I was so mad at her <laughs> no I'm like you know there is that grand I always say listen there's that grandparent rights and responsibilities in the sense that, you know, I've stopped trying to argue. (laughs) I'm just kind of like, I get it. This is the stage of your life. You're Mm -hmm. going to be spoiling them and, and be fine with that. But like, would, have you, cause you nursed all of your kids as well. And obviously being um, a breastfeeding advocate, have you received any negative pushback and how do you respond to that when somebody comes to you and be like, why are you doing that? Or why are you still breastfeeding? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was nursing my daughter at a party and I remember the host was like, you know, it was just women. And, you know, in Islam, we have parts that we can show women and parts that we cannot. So navel to knee, we're not allowed to show other women, but you can show your breasts to other women. And I think the wisdom in that in Islam is because we know everybody's going to be breastfeeding. So yeah, I used to be a real prude about it before I had kids. Like, oh my God, she's like, I can see. But then I was like, oh, well, what else is she going to do? You know? Yeah. I have to be my baby. I have to feed the baby. Baby's hungry, you know, but I had a nursing cover and the hostess still told me, maybe you should go upstairs. And she was really nice about it. But I was like, oh my gosh, she's me before I had kids. But this is really funny because she actually has grown children. So whatever. I went upstairs. I'm sitting on the floor. I'm nursing my baby and somebody walks in and is really startled. She's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were here. And then she's leaving and she goes, 
are you breastfeeding your baby? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, but you're a doctor. And I'm like, yeah, that's why. <laughs> but, but I don't understand. What are the two things it was what you have went, to do with each other? Yeah. It's what you said before, because it was, you know, formula feeding is associated with affluence where we come from, uh, right? where it. our okay. families of origin come from. And she was from back home and she thought a doctor should be too busy to breastfeed their children. And second, they should have enough money to be able to afford formula. And I don't care how much money you have. I'm not spending it like 50 bucks on a box of formula. You crazy? Like, no way. I'm too cheap for that. So for you, you were saying you were too lazy (laughs) to breastfeed for me. I was was too cheap. I was like, I'm not uh, to formula feed. I was too cheap. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I, I got wasn't it for cheap. Free, I was right just here. lazy. Exactly. It was just la- it was, for me. It's a pure laziness. No, and I did yeah. nurse mine for long periods of time, obviously, and mm-hmm. they had teeth, and they were talking, and they would actually ask, like, ask mm-hmm. for it because mine were early talkers on on top of everything else. So then Perfect. they would literally ask for it, and sadly, my six year old still talks about it like very lovingly and wishes Mm. we were still doing it and I'm like well maybe I did nurse my babies for way too long but yeah I get that like I think after a year I think a lot of people get a little bit thrown yeah off by it um and how long are you gonna do it (laughs) and then I just but at that point honestly it was just morning and night for me anyways it was Mm -hmm. just more of a like continuation they're growing they're doing eating other things it was just more you know and I realized I probably did that because I was kind of not ashamed but I do feel like this external pressure to kind of wean that Mm. I just stopped telling people I was still nursing did you have that experience no I'm totally shameless like my kids would walk up flip my shirt up and help themselves and I didn't (laughs) care I would keep keep conversing and people would be like this is weird and I'm like no you're weird and your perception is weird what my kid is doing is totally normal like you know they're hungry they want to snack they're hungry like what do you want me to do she's actually no she's not getting any nutrition it's like bs she is there's still fat in here she's getting it she needs it her brain is growing this is natural dha happening so leave my kid alone if it makes you uncomfortable then i'll cover up but you know i would have friends like challenging me to you're not even making any milk what are you doing like nursing a kid who's talking and walking and i would prove them wrong it's like let me show you how far i can shoot so you know so let me let me tell you this like what do you think about um extended breastfeeding longer than two years yes um, for somebody who's as big of an advocate as as you are yeah. like what do you what's your thoughts on that my thoughts are you should do what's right for your kid islamically i would stop or try to stop around two, two and a half if it's easy, if it can easily be done and very respectfully, positively be done with your child. My last one weaned at two and a half because he was not letting go. But at that point I was touched out. I really just wanted people off of my body. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, we managed to be able to do that. I know people go longer and I'm totally fine with it. Like do whatever you need to do because guess what? Breastfeeding was like the best way to handle those terrible twos and threes because I could calm him down in like a second. And it got to the point where my husband, who was anti-extended breastfeeding, would be like, shut him up, stick him on, you know? Yeah. Um, So I'm all about whatever floats your boat, because honestly, there's no kid who's still going to be breastfeeding in middle school, I promise you. 
Hey, you know, trust so me, it, they don't it really want to sit next me. to you they in don't public, <laughs> let yeah. alone doing that. But it's so funny because obviously I had my older two, um, and then I had a break, and then I had my younger two. So they got reintroduced to the whole concept of breastfeeding, and they were old enough to mm-hmm. understand um, versus just kind of it, you know, because I wasn't doing it, then I started doing it again. Um, I do think um, where I've, uh, me, I'm a little bit less. Um, excite you know I'm not as pro like anti-formula as maybe you as the doctor are but I do think that you know we've provided um some insight into what the, the different Islamic attitudes of what it is and maybe there was some cultural baggage from when we were younger on, on the formula versus breast and I think whatever you end up ultimately doing is the best thing um for your child. Uh, and I think we're going to be posting some links and all that. And perhaps you'll share your journey when you go to Tanzania as Oh yeah. Like I usually write up those, um, international trips because there's so much to learn about the world. So yeah, our links, um, we'll have breastfeeding duration recommendations. We have a La Leche League article on the Muslim perspective of breastfeeding. There's actually a lot of research done on exactly that on Muslim perspectives on breastfeeding. And I've sat with Orthodox Jews. I've sat with like Orthodox Christians and we've had these discussions and we are really the only religion that has like an actual guideline on how long to do this, which is really good. Um, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, like they have all kinds of protocols on there. You can look them up for everything, y'all. Weaning, supplementation, um, even sleeping, all kinds of stuff. And you can get it free online. Those links are up there. And I think they're great because they're all backed by science too. So um, it's not a bunch of woo-woo and it, it's it's really good stuff. And um, we will remember to put up the links to find your senators for November. Yes, definitely. So until next time, everybody, enjoy enjoy the weekend, and I hope you guys go out for your day of service. It's Martin Luther King Day on Monday. Um, do what you can in your communities, and we look forward to seeing you all next week, inshallah. All right. Assalamualaikum, okay, everyone. Assalamualaikum. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show, as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice, because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy Wall Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.